Good evening, and welcome to Calvary Chapel Richmond in our midweek study. We're continuing uh, in the book of Colossians, and we'll be reading the rest of chapter 3 tonight, and really we're almost done with the study. Uh, Pastor Tim will come in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, and read from chapter 4 and close out the study in early August. But uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Trevor Potter. I'm the ministry coordinator here, and I'm really excited that we get to talk tonight about these particular scriptures. Um, it has been a blessing to read through this together, and this letter that Paul wrote um, to the church there in Colossae, and how we get to see that Christ really is the center of everything that we are, everything that we do. We have titled our time in God's Word tonight, as you can see on your screen, Christ, our perfection, redeemed to reflect. And again, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 25. But before we do, let's go and just spend a little bit of time in prayer, uh, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, we come before you just full of the day. We pray, Lord, that you would remove us, fill us afresh and new with your Holy Spirit, Lord. May you increase and we decrease, Lord, in, in every part of our life. We pray, Lord, that you are in our presence as your word is read and taught. Anoint me, Lord, to be able to just share what you placed upon my heart, Lord. Remove me and Lord, we pray that tonight your words would be heard. Go before us and ready our hearts to hear what you have for us. May you be glorified this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was thinking about these few verses in the latter part of chapter 3, I started to reflect on these things as they apply to myself and in my life me personally, but also this profound change that takes place in us at the moment of salvation. And then obviously there's the work that continues after salvation and how we become more spiritually mature. I also thought about this effect it has on our families and those people close to us, to us, to you, to me. And part of this is the family who knew me before salvation, who knew us before salvation. And a lot of them now probably think we have a screw loose. But mostly, the influence that we have, that personally I have within my family, over my kids, uh, the kind of husband that I want to be to my wife, the brother that I am to my sisters, an uncle, friend, co-worker, all of these titles that we wear, it really begins to make you think about how people see us. What do, we, what do people see when they see us? Do we put on Christ as a man or a woman of God? And then thinking about everything that we put on, I'm reminded of everything we've taken off and continue to take off as we grow in the Word, as we grow in the Lord. 
And also what happens is to just jump back on from time to time that we have to continually take off. And tonight as we look at these things, we're really going to be concentrating on three areas, uh, three, five verses, but three separate areas. And that is divided as the bear, the bond, and the bride. That is the bear, the bond, and the bride. And so I, I ask, and again, thinking about these things for all of us, verse 12 of chapter 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, humility, meekness, <clears throat> long-suffering. This putting on takes action on our part. But how are we able to put these things on? What must come off first? And then listening again to what we're called, we're called beloved. We're called holy. And this is really nothing short of just miraculous. We're called the elect of God. And these, these aren't words that typically describe us, a person. These are words that we read in Scripture that describe our Lord and Savior our God. And so what kind of transformation must take place for us to accurately wear these things that can describe us as Paul talks about us? But before we jump too far ahead, let's kind of look at this portion of scripture tonight that we'll look at. It's again, chapter three, verses 12 through 25. <clears throat> it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you almost also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands at his fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Let's go before the Lord once again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word to provide wisdom for us, Lord. Guide us and lead us by it. 
Lord, speak to us in exactly those areas we need to hear your voice. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Speak to our hearts, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of great verses here. Again, unfortunately, we don't have time to deep dive into all of them, but we will look at a couple of these. So the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at the bear. And the verse that coincides with that is Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. I was thinking about that word elect and how really important it is. You hear it throughout the Bible. Here's a couple of verses that just explain some things. Isaiah 42, 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. I know this is talking about Jesus. He is God's elect, his servant. We see something similar in Matthew 12, 18, because it's quoting Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I, put my, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Now we see beloved, again in reference to Jesus, but we also read that we are called this also. And again at the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verse 5 says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. We hear this in Isaiah, as God speaks through him, his servant. We see this in Matthew when describing Jesus. And hear God say it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then again, God says something similar after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. In the same verse in Colossians, we also read that we were described as holy. This is such an incredible work of grace from God through Jesus Christ. Because before salvation, we know who we were. We were full of lawlessness. We followed our own doctrine, really, if we had one at all. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11 reminds us of what this looks like. Knowing this, that the law is made, not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And the word sodomite, we're all familiar with this. We're all familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, how Lot hid the angels from the men in the city, and we know the reason why this took place. We also know that those places were destroyed. Interestingly, not too long ago, the science community said that Sodom and Gomorrah never took place. Therefore, the things that took place there never happened. A couple of years ago, that changed. 
when the scientific community realized that they stumbled upon a place that is Sodom and Gomorrah. They fully believe that is the place, the location is right. And looking at the evidence that they see there on site, not only is it the place, but it was destroyed just as the Bible says it was. Imagine that. But looking at these things, uh, if you have a different version of your Bible, the King James um, says, instead of sodomites, it says, for them that defile themselves with mankind. The NASB says, for informal men and homosexuals. You know, these are just some examples of the lawlessness that mankind is involved in. And you go from that and everything else that we see happening today in our world to being redeemed by the grace of God. And we do this by asking for forgiveness, believing in our heart that Jesus is the Messiah. He died for our sins. He rose again and now sits at the right hand of God. The grace of God made all this possible. But we are born again as a new creation, repenting of our sins, truly turning away from those things that we were once trapped in, the lawlessness that we were once involved in. The blood of Jesus washes us white, cleanses us from our iniquities. And the finished work of Christ that enables him to sit at the right hand of the Father. I love this. In the temple, there were no places for the priest to sit because the work of the priest was never done. There could never be enough sacrifices to sufficiently render any one person sinless, let alone all people. But Jesus was our sacrifice. He was sufficient and still is today. Only he was able to finish this work, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Such a powerful picture of our risen Savior. A recent teaching I was listening to was talking about Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, and how on the cross, Matthew 27, 46, for reference, Jesus cries out, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Referring to the separation from Father and Son, carrying the weight of the sin of the world. This is one of those areas when asked, how can you explain father and son being separated when they're part of the same trinity? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I believe, we believe this by faith because the Bible says it and the word of God is true. We don't have to understand these things for them to be true. We just know they happen because the Bible said. So by, and, and within this teaching, they also talked about how Christ rose and then sat at the right hand of the Father and that by this, their unity was restored. The Trinity was restored. I don't know if it happened then, if it happened the way it was explained in the teaching or when Jesus overcame sin and death, but either way, Jesus coming back to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine that homecoming? Now, the most famous scripture for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, it says, everyone, even those dead in their sins, especially those that are dead in their sins. 
Didn't Jesus say in Luke 5.31, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick? He paid the price for all. Elected, as the scripture tells us, we are found to be holy and beloved because of Christ who lives in us. Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. And then Paul goes on and says, he calls us to act. He says, we need to put on, we need to take action. This is purposeful thing that we have to do. We need to put off the old man and put on the new creation in Christ. Pick up our cross, put on the soldier's uniform, as Ephesians 6 directs. We have to set these things in our mind and heart to be able to do them. And sometimes force ourselves, probably a lot of times, force ourselves to do these things when we don't want to. But we do them especially when we don't want to. He says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We know this doesn't come naturally to us. We don't have any way to do this in our own strength. Some people may try, tell us differently, but we know that only Jesus can truly do this for us and has for those that believe. We won't stay in our sins. And sometimes, some things we, that we don't yet know as we read the word, he reveals to us. And now we're accountable because now we know. But this isn't easy. Sometimes we just want to be right. Sometimes we just want to be mad. Sometimes we think we deserve to be angry. I mean, let's look at these things. Tender mercies. I don't have any mercy to give. Not prior to salvation. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is, when it's within someone's power to punish them or harm them. I'd rather punish and harm. And I did, and I was good at it. But not as good as some others. Have you ever, have you, has anyone ever met anybody who is really good at really putting somebody down, maybe verbally? After the Navy for a short stint, I was a sales rep for a popular donut company here in the Richmond area. But I'm really bad at sales. I was so bad, in fact, that I lost clients. I mean, who does that? I did. But I had a sales manager who had this ability to tell somebody off. And they would, he did it in a way that they were grateful and they thanked him. I really had never heard anything... He truly had a knack for communication. And I remember thinking at the time, man, that's something I can strive to do. Please don't. I, I, I don't strive for that any longer. But mercy was never my strong suit. What about long-suffering? Not me. I've been called many things in my life, but patient, long-suffering was not one of them. I'm not even sure that I heard the word long-suffering until I started reading the Bible. Again, humble and meek, none of these things even came close to describing me. Verse, th verse 13 continues with these other things that are impossible without Christ. But when it comes to forgiveness, who struggles with this one? This is difficult, and this is something that comes up a lot in just conversations you have, even in teaching but this one's really hard. You often hear, 
they don't deserve forgiveness or I'm not ready to forgive. But what if Jesus said he wasn't ready to forgive sins that we committed? What if he wasn't ready? What if he said you're not deserving because we're not deserving? But it's by his grace. So forgiveness is given not because someone is deserving of it or when we're ready. It happens supernaturally by grace, by the love of Christ that lives in us. It's part of that reflection. Whoever we're forgiving probably doesn't deserve it. And we're probably not ready. But do we deserve salvation? Do we deserve grace? We're told in verse 13, even as Christ forgave you, you almost also must do. That's why we must do it. It has nothing to do with us. It's obedience to his word. We love because Christ first loved us. Remember, we're redeemed to reflect. We don't reflect the world around us, but Christ in us. And this takes us to our second point tonight. The bond. We're talking about the bond. And the verses that go along with this is Colossians 3, 14 through 15. Above all, but above all, these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Another call to action, folks, from Paul. This action indicates we can choose to do it or not, and I suppose that applies to any time we're given a choice. But once saved, we don't sit idly by watching the world around us. No, we have to be purposeful in serving, going out of our way to pray, reading the word, going to church, fellowship, praise, ser serve, plan, prepare, all of these things. And all these things are a blessing to do. We get to do them. So many of our brothers and sisters can't, but we can. So Paul tells us to put on love, be purposeful about it. We have to have a heart to want to. Determine in your mind that you will, and then follow through with it. This is a daily activity that we must do first thing in the morning, and multiple times, frankly, often throughout the day. At first thought, you think, how in the world can we put these things on like love, as if it's a pair of pants? There is some symbolism here. Think about this. As you're working in the yard one day, you're mowing, pulling the weeds, trimming the flowers, looking at the hedges, raking, all these different things that you do in the yard. Afterwards, you're a dirty, sweaty mess, especially if you're doing it in the heat of the summer. But after you've finished, you take a shower, put on clean clothes, you feel refreshed. You might need a nap for some, but you've taken the old things off that were dirty and nasty and have put on the new and the clean. And this is the picture that Paul is trying to describe to us. Putting on love is like putting on a garment that really ties everything together. Remember when we went through um, the Fruit of the Spirit series not too long ago, and where we said that love is really the greatest virtue, it's the greatest fruit, and how love made everything else possible for the other virtues or fruit to follow. 
First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about this greatest virtue. And while we don't have time to read the whole thing, it does say in the, the last verse, verse 13, it says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul makes the point here to say that this love is the bond of perfection. The bond or to bind together two or more things to make us whole and complete. And there is only one that is perfect. And only one who has the love that can bind us. And that's him. That's Jesus. can bind us to the Father. This is no easy journey, as everybody knows. The Roman road is a road to salvation, but we don't stop there. In a lot of ways, there's, that's kind of where we kind of start. And putting on love in a simple, it's not a simple feat. But as we spend time with God, in word, and prayer, and praise, and fellowship, living out our faith with our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we grow spiritually. And as we grow and mature, our life and how we live, it begins to reflect Christ in us. This happens faster than others, slower than others, but upon salvation, Scripture tells us that we become a new creation, and we truly have. We've been redeemed. We have this bond to the one and only who can redeem. Our life has to change, and we begin to slowly reflect the light of Christ. And people take notice. Remember, God is love. So daily as we die to ourselves, as we pick up our cross, we put on love. A love so powerful it overcame sin and death. It gives strength and hope and endurance. It gives peace and wisdom and comfort and so much more. We have a bond with God through Christ. Speaking of this peace, in verse, in the verse says, And let the peace of God rule our hearts. Isaiah 29.13 says, Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Jesus quoted this passage, or actually restated it, because he is the word. In Matthew 15, when he was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees about their comment on transgressing the traditions of the elders, speaking of the disciples who didn't wash their hands before they ate. Jesus calls them hypocrites. And then he says in verse 8 and 9, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But the disciples, when he said this, didn't really understand this. So in verse 16 and 20, he said this to the disciples, And Jesus said, You are also still without understanding? Do you not understand, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And so letting the peace of God rule in our hearts is essential to be able to truly reflect Him in our lives. If our heart is not in a good spot, we have to fall to our knees and pray for God to do what we're not able 
and to really do what only he is able to do. The world and the people in it do not make this easy sometimes, understood. It's hard to keep it. But with Christ, all things are possible. And so with this, we have the unity with the Father through Christ, just as we have the unity with our spouse. Genesis talks about this marriage relationship that we're shared between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, or anything other, as we see today, but one man and one woman in this bond that they share in unity. The scripture says in Genesis 2, 23 and 24, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and the mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This description also describes the picture of a relationship with Christ. He is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. When we accept him as Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us, reflecting him to all that we interact with. John 14, 19 through 20 reminds us, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live you will also, you will live also, and that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And this takes us to our last part, and that is the bride. And so the verse that goes along with this is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So whatever we do, thinking about this verse, we still have the ability to think through what we did prior to salvation and then post-salvation. And obviously this is speaking to the believer, but post-salvation, but it helps even those that have not yet accepted Christ see the difference. Prior to salvation... We were involved in all sorts of bad things. Second Timothy actually reminds us of some of these things. And this is specific to the last days, which, many, which we all believe are. And we don't have time to read everything, but it talks about, in Second Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it talks about these perilous times that will come. And men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful unforgiving, slanders, without self-control. My goodness, it it's, describes humanity today. But these things definitely don't reflect obvi- the, the likeness of Christ. This is obvious, but what do we do, what we do with it, and how we live our life in Christ, that's what matters. First off, we don't continue in those old things. Matthew 6 talks a lot about how we should do things that please God, not the working for salvation, because we know that doesn't work that way, but it's working out our salvation. And as an example, in Matthew 6, it says in verse 1 through 4, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do charitable deeds... 
Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a terrible deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your terrible deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will himself reward you openly. We do what we do because we're doing these things out of obedience to God, not for the acceptance of men. Quite frankly, it's very different by doing these things. Men will look at you in an odd way when we live our life for Christ and not for men. The captain of the ship that I was on when I was in the Navy, or one of the captains, one of them had this thing that they did which was a good thing to, to recognize somebody who did something really good. It was called a good on you. And this was really just to give thanks and show a pre appreciation for all the work that gets done on the ship. And it was, and it was a good thing that they did this. And, and we should appreciate the great things that people do for us. But the reason we do them is not for the appreciation. It's not for the recognition. We should do them because they are things that honor our Lord and Savior. They honor God. They give glory to God. And only He deserves the praise. We don't do them for our own gain, but for the kingdom of God. In the book Titus, Paul is encouraging Titus and all who read the letter. And in the third chapter, he challenges and explains what our conduct should look like. And again, we don't have time to read all the 11 verses, but he reminds us that we should be subject to our rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. There's a lot here that is reflective of Christ. Think about Jesus, the ministry he had on earth. He exhibited all these things and just how he interacted with the people around him. And something else to keep in mind regarding this verse. You know, we all have an opinion about something. We all see things going on around us where we think, hey, I could... I can make that better if, and just fill in the blank. We wouldn't have nearly these issues if I did, and then fill in the blank. Or I think I deserve this position because, and then you fill in the blank, and I think I could do this better. Again, and the problem with these statements is, or thoughts, is they all start with I. We need to change that direction from I to what? God, what would you have me do? Lord, what is it that I should do? Lead me and guide me in what the right course of action is. We can even say, Lord, I see this need. I would like to fill this gap. Is this from you? That's okay. But what we do about it and why we have it, it's the will of God. It's his plans, it's his purpose and his way of doing things, whatever it is. 
And this change in looking at things really shows the condition of our heart when doing or wanting to do. So it's more along the lines of, I would like to serve. I have the time to serve. I have the talent, the treasure to do this thing. I believe that these things are the Lord's blessing, this gift. But then going to the church leader and saying, where can I best serve? Here are my strong suits. This is a passion of mine. But it's not about me, so how can I help? Where can I best be served, be used? And this isn't just for this church. This is for any church, any congregation. Anytime a believer is charged to serve, we have to ask God, where can we serve? Where should we be filling a gap? It's about his will, letting his plan be fulfilled, him being glorified. These things honor the Lord. And this is what it talks about when it says, do things heartily for God. He deserves the honor and the glory. So setting thing, these things in motion by first humbling ourselves before the Lord and asking him for direction. Going to the leaders and asking, where can I be most used? And this takes us really to our closing. Tonight we looked at a couple of things, this, and really this was a refresher course, mostly, a reminder of things that we've heard from other teachings, we've read ourselves, whether it's in the Bible or Devos, things that we try to practice on a regular basis, but it's important to keep going back to the basics, because we tend to forget even the most simple things as we battle whatever we battle day to day. Most of us remember life before Christ and the changes that take place when, the, when we do. And such a journey it really has been and continues to be. We talked a little bit about what life was like and that we need to remember, and it's not remembering to get stuck or to, to dwell on the past. That's not what I mean, but it's really to give God the thanksgiving he deserves that he's removed so much mire from our life and set us in a direction and in a place where instead of reflecting the world around us we reflect him and his grace and the love that he's given us we talked about that transformation that takes place as we grow in him and so in closing I'd like to tell quickly just a different story in a different way I love, I love testimonies they're so important to um, hear other people's testimonies. I've given my testimony in this church, and I won't do that today, but I would like to read a poem. It is a poem that I wrote. It's the first poem that I've ever written, so bear with me. I apologize if it's not up to par, but I, I hope you enjoy it. I call it The Bride. Born a child helpless and weak, a loving mother to protect and keep, a toddler full of life, the future before him, no worldly cares or strife. As a child, the rage begins to build. I wish I could explain why I can't, so I cry. A teen now living in the world, experiencing life, 
the cause of so much strife. The rage always growing knows no bounds, very lost and scared, seemingly never to be found. Now a man, strong and proud, serving my country, but still always a dark cloud. Oh, the things my ears hear, so loud and dark, who knows the fear? Lost and scared, trapped without hope, if only I had a savior. Much older as I hear God speak, I realize I'm nothing more than that child, helpless and weak, questioning the purpose, feeling empty to the core, wondering of life, can there be more? Without my knowledge, many prayers going up. Who knew I was someone's prayer in a cup? My eyes begin to open, and with the word of God taught, my heart softened. Humbled and scared, not knowing what to do, not knowing to pray, I turn to the Bible. What does the word of God say? In a room with my brothers, I pray to God who is quick to hear. He answers in an instant and calms the fear. Now, the bride of Christ, redeemed and renewed, born again in Christ, for this I am sure, a love so great, gentle, and pure. He paid it all on the cross meant for me, took my place, and with his blood, now, I am freed. A loving Savior for all, now I have hope and will answer his call. Growing each day in the family of Christ, not on my, but by his might. Now the rage gone, I praise him in song. Now a new creation equipped by Christ to share him with any nation. Thank you, heaven, Father in heaven, for sending your Son. I pray I can reflect the light of Christ until the day he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just so many things that you've done for us. Lord, the price that you paid it's beyond our ability to comprehend these things, Lord. It was your grace, it was your love that made it all possible, Lord, and we thank you for it. Forgive us, Lord, in these areas in our life that we hold onto, these, er these areas in our life that we fall short of your glory, Lord. We pray that you would just fill us with the ability, the strength, the endurance necessary, Lord, to not only get through these obstacles, Lord, but get to the point where we truly can reflect your light, your love, your grace, all of these things, Lord, that are impossible for us. You have made a way, and we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for having us remember, Lord, even these simple things. May we put these things into action in the life that we live for you and you alone, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, everybody. Don't forget, this Sunday, Pastor Tim will be in the book of Hebrews, looking at that. And with that, you are dismissed. Have a great night. God bless.